right, dear beloved friends. Um, John 15. John 15. Uh, Pray and read verses 1 through 11. Father God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. We adore you. Um, We're so grateful, Lord, for our salvation. The fact that we have life in Christ and help us to learn more of this abiding love, a relationship that we have initiated by you for your glory and the good of your people. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And we'll end there. Um, This is, just in case we've forgotten, this is um, the, the, the I Am series that we've been at, lingering here in John 15, and the Lord's teaching um, on abiding. Um, Those who are united um, and those who uh, merely associate themselves with our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the vine, um, that is those who do not abide. Verse 1, Jesus said, I am the, the, the true vine. And that is, um, I am true um, in contrast to that which is, is false or, or a corrupt vine. Immediate context would have been um, Israel. And as we were reminded, the vine and, and the vineyard uh, were old and sacred images in Judaism. And Jesus declares here that, that he is the embodiment of Israel, which is to say that he's taken the place, he fulfills um, Israel's uh, part as God's vine or vineyard. He's the fulfillment thereof. That is to say God, God's vineyard now holds one vine. It's Jesus who is the Christ. Um, he is the true Israel of God. Um, I am the genuine source of life, Jesus says. I am life. There's life in no other. Everything that came before me, it served its purpose. It served a good, a good purpose. You know, in, in type and in shadow, 
Um, it was a picture of something greater that was to come, and I am here. I am the true vine. The fulfillment has arrived. Now, um, we looked at the fact that there are two kinds of branches. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So fruitfulness um, is an infallible mark of true Christianity. Anyone can say they're a believer. Anyone can associate themselves with the covenant community, and eventually it will be revealed that you know they went out from us because they were never of us, for if they were with us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us proving they were never of us taken away. They're dead wood. Good wood. Dead wood is good for nothing but kindling for fire. We looked at the words of Ezekiel last week, chapter 15 of his prophecy. And according to verse 6, um, a non-fruit-bearing branch um, is likened to a believer that is taken away and thrown into final judgment. And the picture there is uh, a you know, dead wood thrown into flame. Now, in contrast to that, he said every branch that bears fruit, um, he prunes in order to make room for more fruit. So by grace, we're grafted into Christ. By grace alone, we're given life in Christ. We're given everlasting life. We're intimately connected to the source of life, that is Christ, who, who is the true vine. So that makes us, verse 3, positionally secure. Okay? Ver verse 3, already you are clean. Okay? So positionally you're right because you're in me, the true vine, says the Lord. And because of this gracious gift of eternal life, um, he will not allow you to remain the same. The love he begins, the work he begins, that is a work um, he will complete in the Lord Jesus. So therefore he prunes back branches in order that they bear more fruit. And the pruning shear of the vine dresser, first and foremost, as uh, we looked at um, last time, um, is indeed um, the word of God. Because the word of God challenges us, it cuts it reproves, it corrects, it edifies. And we, of course, are sanctified by the word, your word, or by the truth. Your, your truth is the word. Jesus prayed in chapter 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He also um, prunes back by way of trials. Prune means to cleanse. And trials, for anyone who professes to be in Christ... Um, will eventually prove whether they're truly in Christ or not. Because they eventually reveal um, who, who we are um, truly within. As, as we are, are being pruned, uh, we must dethrone ourselves, dethrone self-sufficiency, dethrone pride, um, continually going not only back to the cross and the finished work of Christ, but also looking to the living Christ. You know, people say, well, look to the cross, look to the cross. That's important, but as, as an abiding 
disciple of Christ, we must look to the living Christ. Amen? We look to the cross and in his finished work and our, our place of, of justification, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're, we're covered by the blood of Christ, but also in our sanctification and our walk with Christ, we must look to the living Christ, abiding in him. And he's going to root out wrong attitudes, <laughs> wrong priorities, habitual sins, Dependence on the wrong people, dependence on the wrong things, and he, he roots them out. He, he cuts us back. He prunes us, and we bear more fruit of, as we will see, the Spirit. So those are the two um, kinds uh, of branches. So as a born-again believer, um, you have an everlasting, unbreakable union by grace, through faith, alone, in Christ alone, who is the true vine, never to be snatched away, never to be forsaken. That's our position. So the text now moves from position to proximity, or we could call it experience of life in Christ. So now we, we see this, uh, this idea of, of mutual um, abiding. <clears throat> we see here in verse, uh, verses 4 and 5, um, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse seven, he changes the way he says it. Same truth, and he says it this way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. So the point is to, to show us how he abides in us and how we abide in him. He says, my words. Question, what words? The words spoken in the upper room this night to the eleven. You know, chapters 13, all the way up and through, you know, 15 and into 16 and 17, that, where he prays? Those words? Is it the words, all of Jesus' words that he spoke throughout his three-plus-year ministry with these men? Or is it more than that? Remember, John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then uh, the word became flesh and, and, and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled, pitched a tent of flesh, his body, among us. He's the word come down from heaven. Look at verse 3. Already you're clean. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The word for word there is logos. Okay? Already you are clean because of the logos spoken to you. Verse 7, notice. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's a different word for word. That's the word rhema. Words. Words spoken 
words that help them, words that help us live the word that Jesus came to speak. The rhema Jesus spoke, the words Jesus spoke, the many words Jesus spoke that help us to understand the logos, the word incarnate, Jesus. So you you can imagine, uh, if if you will, a large uh, mural, the logos, the whole thing, the all-encompassing word. Jesus came to communicate himself, the word, with words, the the brush strokes on the mural. He expressed himself with, with words, fulfilling out the word. Kind of the idea, I suppose. Many words to help us understand the word. Many brush, brush strokes to help us understand the whole, the, the, the entire thing. In John 17, the same night, same place, Jesus prays. If you turn to John 17, verses 7 and 8, notice, now they know, this is Jesus praying, now they know everything that you have given me is from you, Father. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, Rema. John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world, world has hated them. Guess what that word is for word? Lagos. I have given them the words you gave me, Rhema, verses 7 and 8. I have given them your word, Lagos. The world hates them. Point, Jesus' words are a representation of God's word, a, a perfect representation, a perfect presentation of those words through the one who came from heaven who is the word. Amen? Got it? Good. Okay. In John 15, 7, back to chapter 15. Um, his utterances, his words, Rama, many spoken words, representing the whole revelation to God, which is being brought into focus through the words of Jesus. His words are no more authoritative than the words of the Old Testament. His words are no more authoritative than the word of God in the Old Testament. Amen? It's all the word of God. But his words have a concentrated message of fulfillment. Words that are to abide in us. For the true vine has come. I am. Abide in me. Everything spoken in the Old Testament is just as authoritative and it all points to me. So here I am, Logos, the word in the flesh, here to communicate to you by way of words this reality. Life is in me and me alone. I am. And and, and how is that the case? Well, first, these these words have to get into us. They have to enter in, and then they have an effect. So first... There has to be attentive listening. So here's the disciples' upper room listening intently to Jesus. Many things went over their heads. We're going to see that this morning in the resurrection. (laughs) I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise the third day. 
over their head. But for the most part, as we see by, by the descent of the Holy Spirit, by Pentecost in their preaching, you hear a bunch of Old Testament preaching, a bunch of Old Testament um, 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 verses and passages of Scripture that they cite as Christ having fulfilled by way of his resurrection. So th these words were given to these men um, this night and the three years preceding this night, and they've been transmitted to us by way of the writing, divine inspiration of God, through the men who penned the uh, uh, gospels and the epistles. And here we have it, same words. Living, active, to be taken in regularly, to, to be taken in purposefully um, for us to... to remain attentive, a necessity of every branch. Amen? My words abide in you. Remember in, in John 6, the masses are following Jesus. Jesus fed the 5,000 plus women and children, 10, 15, 20,000 people. Um, he departs. He goes to the other side of Gennesaret, they figure out where he was, and they track him down. They enter into Capernaum. He's teaching there, and his teaching becomes more intense, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. This was too intense for them. They're thinking cannibalism or some crazy thing. So the mass majority departed. Jesus looked at the 12, and he said, what? You want to go with them too? You want to follow them? Peter answered, we have nowhere else to go for you have the, the words of life. The words of life. So um, apart from the life-giving source, the word of God, by way of the resident presence of the Holy Spirit, our tendency, the temptation will be for us not to abide in the vine, but to, to perform so as to make a leafy appearance. A lot of leaves, wow, wow, look at all they do. Right? That's the temptation. An outward presentation, it appears to be full, but it will lack fruitfulness. He said, in order to bear fruit, you have to abide in me. You have to abide in my words, and my words must abide in you, and there'll be fruit. This is what he's after. Now, some people will say, well, you know, telling me so dogmatically that I, you know, I have to read my Bible, I mean, isn't that kind of you know, legalistic? It, it, it could be if it's a manipulative tactic of someone, some preacher or some friend, it could be. But it's also true that we know that a man or a woman is justified by faith, what? Alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. The presence of the Holy Spirit within anyone will cause us to want to take in the, the words of Jesus. 
the better to find the word of God, the logos. So saving faith, we see results in, in, in a, a joyful obedience. So this is part of obedience. Taking in and being attentive to the living word of God, the words of Christ that define the whole, the bigger picture. Verse 10, notice, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is another way of saying the same thing. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So our relation to Jesus mirrors the relation Jesus has with the Father. So being in the vine is to be in Christ. This is the mystical union that we talk about, an everlasting union with God through Christ, the living vine. And sometimes, you know, branches are so closely associated with the vine, you can't tell what's the branch and what's the vine on a real grapevine. They're so close. That's the idea. After all, he, he is the head and we're the, we're the body. The, the, the whole thing. He's the groom, we're the bride. We're, we're one. Head and body, one. Uh, groom, bride, one. I'm the, van, I'm the vine, you're the branch, one. I and the father are one. You're in me. We're all one. So abide in my words. And may my words abide in you. Keep my commandments. Obey my words. Abide in my love. It's all the same thing. So this is where uh, the positional reality of the union, which cannot be broken, is now experienced or, or you know, actualized. Verses 7, 9, and 10. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Verse 9, as the fathers loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So, words, love, commands. Living into, living into, abiding in what we've already been attached to, Jesus, the vine, where we're grafted in, involves the word abiding in us. Word, life. Words, life. Love, life. God's word is key. Because we test everything in light of Scripture. You know, some Christians, they say things, um, well-intentioned, I believe, most of the time. They'll say things that uh, are, are very ignorant and, and sometimes very harmful in that they'll say things like, you know, um, I was praying and Jesus told me. 
I was praying um, in, in the Holy Spirit told me, and then they go on to utter something that, that absolutely contradicts his words. The rhema found in the word contradicts it, which means it wasn't God speaking to you. I don't know how many times I've heard this. You know, God told me this. No, he didn't. When they define what it is, and I'll tell them, no, they didn't. says, how, how dare you tell me? And I'm telling you because it contradicts what he's already said. If it contradicts what he said. Kelvin, writing about the Christ of experience and the necessity of being tethered to the word of God said this, and I paraphrase, without the gospels, we have a naked Christ and we dress him up as we will. In other words, experience of, of a Christ consciousness, it must be tethered to, it must be attached to the historic Jesus and the word about him or it's not of him. Now, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. Verse 10 is not saying that obedience is love. Verse 10 is not saying that obedience is love. What it's saying is that obedience will result from love. Obedience results from love. It's not that obedience is love. It's one of the experiential ways of abiding in the vine. It's relational. It's a living, abiding relationship. His words, his commands, they're all good, amen? His words and, and commands are intended to protect, to guard, to guide, to direct. So to say that, you know, the, the, the teachings of, of, of God's commanded word is, you know, legalistic, that's nonsense. Now, if you think that obedience earns you salvation, well, now we have a problem. The commands of God are here in the scriptures to guide us, to guard us, to protect us, to direct us. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in, in his love. So it's relational again. 1 John 5, 3 says this, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments they're not what? They're not burdensome. You, 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 can't, you, know, you, you can't muscle over sin. You can try. It won't last long. You can't muscle over sin. But we must abide in his love. We abide in the vine. We abide in the word. His words abide in us. The very heart of Christ. And we will bear fruit. Fruit of the? The spirit, rather than the 
flesh. So here we have the abiding um, of proximity. We understand position. We, we have experience. This is what Jude refers to in his epistle as keeping yourselves in the, verse 21 I think it is, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Abide in me. Let my words, Rama, abide in you. Because of your love for me, because I first loved you, keep my commandments. And your prayer life, the result thereof, your prayer life will be radically affected. Verse 7, notice. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. This isn't that you're going to get a house on the hill and have a a five-car garage and hot rods and vacations around the world. He's not talking about that. Health, prosperity, that you're always going to be healed when you pray. Back in chapter 14, same night, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. As regards healing, you know what, as a matter of fact? um, If you die, you will be healed. So if you pray to be healed and you die, you're healed, ultimately, in death. So yeah, I guess, y'all. But what we always say, we have this tendency of, of thinking for the here and now. If his words abide in us, we will be praying in a way that is in keeping with what? The word of God. In line with the word of God. Lined up with the, with the will of God. We don't understand the secret will of God. Secret things belong to the Lord. We certainly understand his commanded will. We don't understand his sovereign will. Things that go on in the world according to to his divinely foreordained decreed will. But we know his commanded will. We abide in in the truth. And it, 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 it increases our understanding of what we ought to be praying for. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So, ultimately, the the mold and model um, of of humanity is Jesus, the Christ, the embodiment of truth. He, He is the word incarnate who speaks words. He is life, (coughs) that life of the vine we're attached to. So we're positionally secure. This we understand, I hope. Amen? So as far as a greater sense of, it, of his presence goes, which, which has to do with proximity of the vine, again, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. Abide in my words. Allow my words to abide in you. And the result is not only will you pray for that which you desire, which will be lined up to the word of God, and we'll see answered prayer. Also, verse 11, notice, it's so that my joy 
Jesus says, may be in you. And that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, joy doesn't necessarily mean happy. Because not everything is happy. But there's a deep-rooted sense of joy. So these things I've spoken to you, that is the words of chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, by, by abiding in him, bearing fruit of the Spirit, because life comes through the vine, um, they will obtain the, the blessing of answered prayer. We see that. Abiding in his love. So that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Full. So full means to be consumed by or to be overwhelmed by. Okay, fullness. Um, the, the controlling influence of the very thing that fills you. And the thing that fills you, Ephesians 5.18, is the person of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to look as I close up. Ephesians 5.18. Okay, command. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice the result. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're filled with the Spirit. Okay, don't fill yourself with other things which brings forth debauchery. And he includes like drunkenness, which can result into revelry or, or, or lead you into idolatry, you know, pagan ideals. That was what was going on in the first century. Be filled with the Spirit. And then we see the results thereof. Okay, now with that in mind, look at Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same result is being filled with the Spirit, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is again, giving thanks to God through him. So being filled with the words of Christ, being filled with the Spirit, it's the same thing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. So although our joy will be made full, which he says here it will, that's not, that's not the chief aim of his teaching. Verse 8 is. So even our joy isn't the chief aim. Even our answered prayers aren't not the chief aim. Verse 8 is. By this, my Father is what? Glorified. That's the chief aim, the glory of God. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever.
So this is the, the seventh um, I am statement of Jesus, part 10 of our studies, and we'll conclude um, next week with what Jesus said um, to the Pharisees. He said, you're of your father, the devil. And then he went on to say, before Abraham was, I am. Taking us back to the beginning. So we started our series in the beginning, and we'll conclude our series in the beginning. All right? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the word, our Lord Jesus. His words are spoken to us, fulfilling all the words of Scripture. May your word abide in us, richly and deeply. We will bear fruit of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.